Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan whose faith is being duly tested and an online blogger for Arctic Ice Hockey. You can find my rantings over there or just follow my Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, and I promise it won't always be, yeah, this team sucks, because at some point the Jets will be good again, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, maybe not 10 years from now, who knows? Are you sensing that I'm a little salty tonight? Yep, yep, I am. Tonight we're going to take a look at how the Jets did against the Washington Capitals on the road, and I can assure you it is not particularly good. I guess it technically could have been worse, but let's just say that Winnipeg's start to the game was pretty scrambly and Washington immediately looked in control of the first period. And it didn't take long before, of course, Alex Ovechkin, who had already scored his 700th career goal against the New Jersey Devils and had a nice little pregame ceremony to celebrate, bagged career goal 701. You just knew that Winnipeg was going to concede to Ovechkin because it's it's always his dude against the Jets. I mean, it's Ovechkin. He scores against everyone, but he seems to love scoring against the Jets and the Thrashers, so awesome stuff, guys. Winnipeg's defense, which was uh, already down Josh Morrissey, and then was down Sami Niku right before the game because of a, a pre-practice injury, was looking pretty pretty thoroughly cooked. I think our top pairing is, what, Kulikov, Pionk, and I just, uh, yeah, uh, that's kind of where things are at this point. I think I've basically abandoned all hope on this season, and if Winnipeg ever thought it was going to make the playoffs, those hopes are surely dusted now. This team, in the first period, continually demonstrated that it doesn't have the willpower or the brainpower to survive any of its own mistakes and shortcomings. Which, look, I get it. This Jets team has basically no team defense right now. Its blue line is decimated. Bufflin, Truba, uh, Morrissey, Pete, Sammy Niku, all those guys are out, you know, either long-term, permanently, or injured. I I get it. I get that they're on 7th defenseman and stuff, but then the forward combinations that Maurice went with tonight were just horrendous. I mean, Cody Eakin being your third-line center and then eventually bumped up to uh, a promotion, I guess, with Ehlers and Liney at some point during the game, I just don't understand. But before any of that even happened, we also got treated to a wonderful Jakob Vrana breakaway goal where he basically posterized the entire second line before squeaking through between Tucker Pullman and Anthony Batetto. Those guys got turned inside out. Pullman committed way too early. Verona got the step on him. Pullman didn't recognize the danger and would not cover the right side like he should have, ultimately pinching in and getting burned by Verona's speed. And Verona just turned him inside out. I mean, there was nothing he could even do. Batetto also got burned, and I think the whole sequence in the offensive zone where Line was trying to force the play because his linemates weren't doing that much. Just, uh, just a comedy of errors, man. I'm I'm so tired of talking about stuff with this team sometimes. I mean, it, it just feels like a constant battle between, wow, you know, wanting the Jets to be competent for more than five minutes and getting performances like these. I knew tonight was going to be hard. I did. I knew that the Caps were probably going to win. I didn't anticipate that being this so utterly lopsided and embarrassing. Somehow the Jets were credited with like six shots on goal in the first period, but honestly I could remember maybe two of them, one of them being a good line A save, and the other, I I don't even remember what the other shot was to be honest. Winnipeg just got trounced all around, and it's very frustrating. I don't really understand what to think with this team, because, I don't know, the Jets are, they are what they are at this point. They aren't making the playoffs. I I don't even know if they're going to be in contention for a wild card spot. If they continue to play like this and they have this many injuries, mm -mm, Jets are done. They're cooked. The second period really wasn't all that much better. I mean, the Jets kind of got rocked in that period as well. 
I think that they actually did put more stuff on net and they tried to create more and like the Caps defense sort of slacked off a bit. But here's the thing, the Caps, you know, letting off the gas pedal really isn't much of a reprieve because then the Caps can just hit you on a really dangerous counter. And they certainly did not too long after, uh, around the midway point, I would say. The Jets were trying to clear their own zone and Garnet Hathaway somehow found himself in front of the net, almost completely unmarked, and scored a greasy little goal right after Laurent Bressois had bailed the cat or bailed the Jets out on a wonderful robbery of Carl Haglund. Haglund had had like three shots on goal in that sequence, none better than the sprawling save by Bressois right before Hathaway then scored him like a 30 seconds later. I I don't really know what to say, guys. Uh, the Jets' defense is is non-existent, and I don't really have any answers for how to fix it because they can't, unless they get some warm bodies and and healthy guys from the Moose or. I don't know, guys just returning from injury and stuff, the Jets are not really going to be looking any better. The funniest part was I feel like the Caps at times did give the Jets space to score, but Winnipeg just kind of didn't really have anything to put it all together, which is kind of a common theme this season. Winnipeg is about two steps from just plummeting off a cliff all the time, and it maybe I should have not gotten my hopes up a couple of weeks ago when they were, I, th- I think, like 6-2-1 and one or something like that. Whatever they were, it just doesn't feel like they're going to be touching that anytime soon because their schedule is about to get very difficult, and if they're without guys like Morrissey and anyone else for any extended period of time, just count this team out. I I feel bad about saying this, but going 6-4-0 over the last 10 against a mostly below-the-playoff-line schedule, it's just not good enough. I know that, obviously, under normal circumstances, most teams would be happy with that, but that's not where the Jets are. The Jets have a lot of teams chasing them for a playoff spot, and they have um, quite a few more games played than some of their competitors like Nashville. Folks have debated with me at length on Arctic Ice Hockey that the Jets can overtake one of the Pacific Division wildcard spots, because one of the Pacific teams will definitely be in one of those spots, is my guess, unless the Wild go on some crazy tear. But here's the thing. I don't think the Jets can actually maintain that kind of point-standing pace. If the Jets have to play all these teams that are playoff spots on the road, I really don't see where Winnipeg is going to be getting all that many standings points. Their competition's about to get harder, not easier, and now they're down even more roster players. So, I mean, I hate to be the, you know, Captain Obvious here, or I guess Captain Pessimist, but I just don't know how the Jets are going to survive this. I mean, is Connor Hellbuck going to be able to cover this team's mistakes? We know Bersois probably can't, and that's not really fair to expect him to either. But, you know, as good as Hellebuck is, he can't cover this team forever. I mean, at some point, the Jets are going to have to do something more than what they've been doing. They can't keep making these weird, stupid lineups that don't really make sense. They need to stop overusing Cody Eakin. Figure this crap out. Of course, I say that, and Cody Eakin had an assist tonight on one of Winnipeg's few goals, this one from Nick Ehlers, but it was kind of fluky anyways. It's not really indicative of his performance for this team. So, yeah, I just kind of shrug at this point. If you were hoping for a significant improvement in the third period, unfortunately, things did not get much better. Winnipeg went like the first six minutes without a single shot on goal. Meanwhile, the Capitals were jumping all over them, even drew a nice little power play. Everything was going swimmingly for the Jets. This team, man, when they get down, and they seriously get down, they just seem to kind of fall apart sometimes. There were points earlier in the season where they could kind of claw back into games and pull off some miracle comeback wins, but I feel like any of that magic that they were relying on has definitely run out now. I said I would be okay with them losing if they played fun competitive hockey, but it didn't really mean that they could lose like this. This is just really disappointing and deflating, and I feel like, I don't know, it's hard to watch them play like this. It's just not exciting, and there's not really a whole lot to be 
I don't know, enthused or optimistic about what even guys who are your standout favorites like Nick Ehlers and Patrick Laine and Janssen Harkins aren't really able to do much. There's just not a whole lot of incentive to get excited about whatever it is the Jets are doing. Thankfully, we did get one little nice surprise highlight reel goal, this one courtesy of a self-made Kyle Connor breakaway goal, and it's like the first useful thing he's done in a few games. Look, Kyle Connor is really amazing at scoring goals and breaking away from defenders, but dude, sometimes when he has to do literally anything else other than score goals, he just kind of seems to be short-circuiting a little bit when he has to make those more complex plays and setups. I mean, it's it's not that he can't do it, he just doesn't do it enough. But his nice little breakaway goal that he had showcased why he has been a perennial 30-goal scorer for this team. I mean, aside from, you know, being paired with Mark Shifley, which certainly doesn't hurt you because Mark Shifley is Mark Shifley. Even when Shifley sucks, he tends to be a pretty decent generator of offense for your squad. Speaking of Shifley sucking, after Winnipeg was back within the goal, Shifley pulled off some miracle come from behind, I don't know, bullcrap that you can't even write, really. You can't write the script. He, like, cut in against defenders and was tripping over Orlov's skate, and as he's going in, like, tries to shovel the puck on that, but then it ends up going off of Orlov's skate and in for the game-tying goal. Like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't understand this team, guys. I really don't. Tr- trying to solve Winnipeg is like trying to figure out world peace. Either they're capable of some really breathtaking goals, or they're also capable of just being the most bafflingly terrible team you've ever watched. We got both barrels tonight in in pretty full measure, although most of the game, I would say, was on the bad side. And then there was like the five minutes of absolute chaos where I'm not really sure what happened to the Caps, but Braden Holtby apparently had a minor meltdown. The game then went to overtime, and things were pretty wild. Both teams exchanged some really decent chances, although I, I think... I would say that the Caps probably had better opportunities overall, but then a couple of Jets opportunities came very close, including a nice uh, line A shot right before the end of the OT period. Despite neither team knowing how to defend for a solid, I don't know, five-minute overtime period, and the Jets actually put out three forwards because they didn't have any defensemen who could could play OT, uh, we ended up scoreless, and it went to a shootout, in which the Jets basically got, what was it, one actual save one off the post, and the rest were all goals. The Caps being the Caps ended up winning, but the last Jets shooter was Nikolai Ehlers, and he probably had the funniest, just most ridiculous shootout attempt I've seen in a while. He never takes shootouts, and this was honestly uh, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. He just kind of said, screw it, and did a slap shot like 10 feet from the net. There was literally no way it was ever going in, and I feel like he ran out of ideas after he saw Holtby come out really aggressively from his crease. Just a really funny way to end one of the stupidest games I've ever sat through. I guess the Jets got a point out of it, but ultimately I don't know that it really changes their playoff fates all that much. They are, I believe, tied with Arizona for the wild card spot, but Arizona is currently leading in their game last I heard, so not not great for the Jets holding on to that wild card spot, gotta be honest. Uh, and then they have to play the Caps again on Thursday, which ought to be interesting. It'll be on home ice, and I don't know what to think about it. I kind of hope it's a little bit cleaner and, and less bizarre than this was. I mean, this was a really funny game for all the wrong reasons. We even saw Cody Eakin out for a three-on-three overtime shift, so that's that's definitely a thing. But I, I don't know. As far as this game's actual quality is concerned, that was pretty pretty horrific on most respects. After the Caps, we then get to play Buffalo, Edmonton, Vegas, Arizona, and Edmonton again, which is, um, yeah, that's a slate of games. Uh, A couple of them will be on home ice. I guess we could potentially 
put a hurting on the Yotes. Look, I got to be honest with you. I I have no idea if the Jets are are really capable of making the postseason. I just I don't I don't really know if they can beat all of the Pacific teams in their Pacific games, uh, and and the Pacific teams start to slump. Maybe, but honestly, man, I just don't know how the Jets are going to keep pace. They'd have to play Arizona and Calgary a number of times before the season ends, and even then, Winnipeg would have to win all of those, and I'm not sure that they can. The Yotes aren't even that great of a team, but the Jets are kind of that much worse in a lot of respects, so I, I don't really know what to expect. Vegas is probably going to be a loss. I mean, the Knights are one of the best teams in the NHL, and now they have a really capable backup goalie, so that's not great. You know, Edmonton is, um, they're solid, I guess. It's going to be hard to play them. I mean, you have to do that at home and on the road, so that's, I guess, probably two points. I think Winnipeg's record is going to be just above 500. Maybe a game or two, maybe even more, but I think it's going to be hard for them to really find the point space in order to keep at least afloat for that second wildcard spot. And honestly, without any of the defensemen getting healthy again and Brian Little not coming back for the rest of the year and Adam Lowry's still out, I mean, the Jets are really treading thin ice. I just don't know if we can really expect them to make enough of a a splash either getting to the postseason or once they're in actually doing anything in the in the playoffs you know it's going to be it's going to be a tight squeeze so I'm I'm not really confident that the Jets have enough to to really push themselves over the edge maybe I'm being overly pessimistic and the rest of the west somehow kind of collapses in a total dumpster fire like we all expected to but if any anything that we saw tonight is an indication it's not really going to matter I mean the the Jets ended up still losing to the Caps and uh, the rest of the teams that they need to lose are all currently winning and going to earn two points, which includes Nashville, and that's the team that's probably going to bounce the Jets out. You know, the only hope is that Nashville is good enough to lock out the first wild card spot, and then Winnipeg somehow capitalizes on a weaker Pacific division to get the second one, but I just don't know that they are going to be able to do that. I don't know that the Pacific is going to suck enough for that. We'll find out pretty soon. Talking about the Jets consistently is a lot of hand-waving, so I figured I'd change gears a little bit and kind of recap who I think the winners and losers from yesterday's uh, trade deadline deals were going to be. And we'll start with, I guess, the so-called losers. First off is Buffalo, because I have no idea what the Sabres are doing. Uh, They really made some moves that I technically aren't aren't really bad. I just don't really understand what any of the moves are for. Cahoon for Shady and uh, who else was it? Oh yeah, Evan Rodriguez is to me kind of a net loss because I think Shiri and, and Rodriguez are both productive players in the right capacity and Cahoon is good too. It's just you gave up two good ones for one similarly good one. So do you really win that deal? Eh, probably not. Picking up Wayne Simmons was also kind of bad because Simmons isn't really going to do anything, but I guess he was super cheap, so it's not that big of a deal. I just don't understand the move from a roster management perspective. Perhaps the biggest loss is not trading Rasmus Ristolainen. Uh, I I know that they kind of like him for some reason, but let's be honest, Ristolainen's pretty bad. Our next loser probably isn't too worried about losing because the price that ended up going for the guy that they were after was pretty nuts, but I would say that the Flyers kind of end up being losers just because they couldn't get John Gabriel Paggio at a reasonable price. They ended up getting Derek Grant and Nate Thompson, which is fine. I mean, Grant is pretty okay if, you know, if you put him in a fourth line role. I think that that's a solid depth add, but, you know, Thompson isn't really a productive NHLer anymore, so... I would characterize this as mostly a loss insofar as I don't think 
the uh, I don't think the Flyers actually really improved. Also on the losing end, I'm going to have to say the Florida Panthers. They got rid of Trocek, who, yeah, Trocek's been underperforming and probably isn't the same player that he was a couple of seasons ago, especially prior to injury. But you have to really like Lucas Walmark, and who else did they get? I think it was Walmark, um, Haula, who's probably uh, maybe not going to extend. I think Haula probably wants to play for a contender. Prisky seems like an alright third-pairing D prospect, maybe second-pairing if you're lucky, and then they got something else with it. But basically a whole lot of roughly third-liner kind of guys. Hal is a second-liner, but he's also expiring and is looking for a pretty decent raise, so who knows how that's going to end up for them. I think that they were probably mostly interested in, in Walmart and uh, Prisky, but eh, it's alright. I think Lusterdeinen was the other prospect, which is another kind of bottom-six power-forward type. I just don't really think that that deal for Carolina, you know, Carolina wins in in respect to taking a gamble on a guy who has second-line upside, while the Panthers cut salary and don't really seem to improve at all. Speaking of Carolina, I guess we're going to go with winners, and, and Carolina is probably net on the winning side, I guess. The Trocheck deal was good. I'm a little bit hesitant to say that they were winners because I feel like the Shea deal and the Votnin deal were both kind of bad. Shea for a first is, like, not horrible, and Vatanen for Kuwakinen and, like, a fourth or whatever is fine. It's just, I don't know. I don't really think that their defensive unit, even with the injuries, really improved all that much. That's a real big gamble. But, you know, if you've got Trocek and he kind of rebounds to form, then you're probably not too worried because you're going to be scoring a lot more goals and getting some pretty good second-line offense, so you're probably not worried about having an elite defensive core. That said, though, I mean, that, that wasn't cheap. I mean, they gave up a first-rounder for Shea and, and a pretty decent-sized package for Vatanen. So I, I, I'm hesitant to call them great winners. I mean, they, they did do something, I guess, but beyond that, uh, don't know. I would say another winner would probably be the Sens. Somehow the Sens have traded away, like, their entire team and still come out on the winning end because now they have a lottery pick out of San Jose. And then they also got a pretty large package for Jean-Gabriel Pajot, you know, a first, a second, and a third rounder. And granted, yes, they are conditional picks, a couple of them at least are, but they ended up recruiting quite a few assets for a dude who didn't want to seem to resign all that much for them. Or if they, you know, if he did want to resign, but, you know, they just couldn't afford it, then that's that's going to be what it is. I mean, $5 million for six years is not really a great contract if you're Ottawa. They will give some guys money, but I think dudes like Shabbat are, are always going to be prioritized over players like Peugeot, who, who is very decent and, and certainly not uh, asking for a crazy amount, but, you know, $5 million bucks is not cheap for the kind of player that he is. The team that acquired him, the Islanders, probably win by virtue of they needed a, a top center somewhere. They got a pretty good middle six center who's been having a career season. I don't know that I love the price, and I don't know that I love the contract extension, but I suppose it could be worse. I mean, Paggio fills an immediate need now and for the foreseeable future, and this team probably needs to win more games in the in the relative recent timeline than down the road. I think the Islanders have some pretty decent reinforcements coming along, but I I don't know when those reinforcements are going to arrive, especially on the wings and at center. So Paggio takes care of a couple of questions. I just think it's kind of like signing Brian Little to a multi-year deal at this stage of his career, and kind of hard to say whether or not that's really the right move. I think that it's kind of hard for me overall to say that any of these teams ended up the winner, because I feel like a lot of players traded hands, but I don't know how many teams actually 
massively improved. Vegas is probably the clearest winner just because they got a, a really good number two backup goalie who can arguably be a starter. Uh, you know, for I think with salary retained and for not an overly expensive price, and that was their main need. They needed a backup goalie, um, somebody who could help if Flurry started stumbling. They didn't really need much else. They got their I guess number one B goalie, and so Vegas probably takes the cake as the most improved team in terms of not paying too much and getting exactly what they wanted and really positioning themselves for a great cup run. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned this week for a couple of game-worn interviews on Thursday and Friday. Thanks again for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!